This episode is sponsored by Santa Cruz TechBeat. Santa Cruz TechBeat is the go-to source for all things tech in Santa Cruz and the Monterey Bay region. Santa Cruz TechBeat provides a convenient way for our business, tech, and education communities and the general public to stay informed about our local tech ecosystem. Visit SantaCruzTechBeat.com for news, events, jobs, resources, and a business directory. Subscribe for free at SantaCruzTechBeat.com. I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Myber guzman Today on Santa Cruz Local, we'll catch you up on Tuesday's special Santa Cruz City Council meeting. Kara, what was the broad overview? There's two big takeaways from Tuesday's meeting. One, the city council enacted an emergency law limiting evictions. And number two, the city council is considering increasing the number of affordable units that developers are required to build. It's called the inclusionary requirement. So two housing items, that's cool. Let's dig into the first point. Uh, What are the new eviction rules that the council enacted Tuesday? Well, if you remember from our previous episode, a new state law, AB 1482, has rules on evictions. In a nutshell, it says that landlords can't evict tenants for arbitrary reasons. And the law spells out exactly what those reasons are. For example, those reasons include the landlord or their family is moving in, the landlord is substantially renovating the property, the tenant has violated the lease, or the tenant is doing something criminal on the property. There's a couple more reasons. Or, and there's if they're selling the property too, right? Yeah, or if they're selling and taking the property off the market. Those are valid reasons to give a tenant a notice to leave. So these rules start January 1st. On Tuesday, the council unanimously approved an emergency law that starts those rules immediately. And There's one more part to this. The state law and now the city's law says if the landlord gives the tenant a notice to leave for reasons that are not the tenant's fault, then the landlord has to give or waive a month's rent. Got it. And why was Santa Cruz looking at these rules now? So there's this movement that's happening across the state. There's other city councils looking at similar laws. Los Angeles had already done it. Daly City, Redwood City have also done it. Tenants and tenant advocates are saying that there's this loophole in AB 1482. Because the state law doesn't take effect till January 1, these tenants say that landlords are evicting them now so they can jack up the rent before the rules start. Yeah, that's the other part of the bill that I don't know if, that we mentioned. It, the, the other part of the bill is that you can, the landlord cannot raise the rent more than 5% plus inflation annually. So if you evict, if you kick out the people now, then you could have new tenants in and raise it as much as you want between now and January 1st. Right. So this is what elsewhere we're hearing about is reports of landlords kicking out their tenants so that they can raise the rent exorbitantly and just get a new fresh batch of tenants who are paying the higher rate. But in Santa Cruz, a big reason the council was talking about this today was because of reports of evictions at 123 Bixby Street in Santa Cruz. At the last two city council meetings, we've heard from three tenants who live there, plus a whole bunch of tenant advocates. They've been urging the council for an emergency law to protect these tenants on Bixby Street. So 123 Bixby Street is an 11 unit complex on Bixby Street 
at San Lorenzo Boulevard. It's right, it's a block away from Ocean Street. Yeah, next to the San Lorenzo River. Over the last several weeks, residents there have been getting notices to leave. I went down to 123 Bixby Street today and knocked on some doors and found out that it's only about half of those 11 households that have received notices to leave. These tenants got offers of relocation assistance. So they were offered $3,000 if they moved out by a certain date, and it dropped to $1,500 two weeks after that. Did the landlord give a reason why they're kicking people out? So there's new owners, Ming and Soisha Leong, and the Leong Trust. They bought the place in August for $1.75 million, according to county records. And apparently they have plans to substantially renovate the place. I was told this by the handful of residents that I spoke to today. Also, I saw the crews working. There were vans in and out, and I saw people a crew replacing the water pipes. So for the tenants in Bixby, if we were to take the owners at their word that they're renovating this property, then by AB 1482, they would either have to waive the last month's rent or pay them a month's rent. Right. So the new city law and AB 1482 do not protect these tenants. If it is true that the landlord is undergoing substantial remodeling, which is defined by the state law as the remodel has to be so significant that the tenant must leave the premises for 30 days. So if that is indeed the case here, then the landlord is following those rules. Got it. Okay. And then you went down to Bix to the apartment complex and talked to a few people. What did they have to say? We had heard before that all 11 households at 123 Bixby Street had received notices to leave. In fact, that turned out to be not the case. I was surprised to knock on a couple doors this morning and hear that they had not even heard of that their neighbors had received notices to leave. Yeah, they were pretty stressed to get that news. Um, Another resident I spoke to said that he had not yet received a notice, but was told by the owner that he was going to at some point. Well, how many people do we know are getting these notices so far of the 11? So two of the people had taken the relocation assistance and were already out. One of them actually ran into today. He was visiting his friend at the property. Um, He is now living in his van because he couldn't find a new place that takes Section 8. We know of at least two others who have received notices to leave, but did not take the relocation assistance because they say they have nowhere else to go. One of these people is John Ballesteri. He's 72. He was born in Santa Cruz. He's been living on Bixby Street for 17 years, he says. It must be really stressful right now. Yeah, it is. We don't know where we're going to do. I have no money. I mean, I have no money. Always the end of the month, you know, Social Security's low for me. And I was just reading about it, and you say you can get more money and stuff, whatever, you know. I don't think so. How much do you get each month in Social Security and disability? Nine fifty, altogether. And- Ballesteri pays $243 in rent, on top of what the Section 8 program pays the landlord. Ballesteri decided not to take the landlord's offer of $3,000 because he said he didn't know where he'd go. The Section 8 market is really tight. It's really hard to get an apartment. And yeah, he, he felt like he didn't have any other options. How long does he have to find a place? 
he and the handful of other residents who got notices to leave have until December 31st. What this new law does today is sort of close the loophole if there's anyone who's getting evicted by their landlords who want to sort of wipe the slate clean and and get a new batch of tenants at a much higher rent, then this emergency law helps them. But what we're hearing is that there isn't this huge scale of a problem that we may be seeing elsewhere in the state. In Santa Cruz, so far, the city, all they've heard about is this handful of notices to leave at 123 Bixby Street. These are the only evictions that we're seeing. And we don't even know that they're in response to AB 1482. Yeah, that we know of. Yeah. Yeah. You told me earlier there's more to what the council enacted today. Can you talk about that? Yes. So the council is considering going above and beyond what AB 1482 calls for. So today, all the council did was make AB 1482's eviction rules start immediately. At the next few council meetings, the council will be looking at protecting the most vulnerable tenants, those on Section 8. For those tenants, the council is considering requiring landlords to pay a relocation fee of up to four months rent. The council is also considering requiring these landlords to give those tenants a first right of refusal. So that means if a landlord is substantially renovating the place, taking that those units off the market for some time, when they do go back on the market, the landlord has to go back to the tenants who originally lived there and offer it to them first. But some council members like Donna Myers and Cynthia Matthews are worried that these rules for Section 8 landlords would create a disincentive for those landlords to rent to Section 8 tenants. You know, they were saying if the city adds all these rules for the landlords of Section 8 tenants, the landlords might say, forget about it. This is too much. I don't want to do this. And Section 8's already a barrier for a lot of landlords who don't want to deal with the paperwork and all that. People who have Section 8 vouchers often find it difficult to find a place to live. There isn't enough supply for all the Section 8 vouchers that are out there. The city has been trying to create incentive to get more landlords to accept Section 8. Right. And this is not only true in Santa Cruz, but San Jose throughout the state. Throughout the state, yeah. yeah. At the meeting, when the city council was looking at this, were there many people there? Did they have anything to say? Yeah. I mean, it was actually kind of packed for 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. You know, almost every seat was taken. Around 30 people spoke, all but maybe one or two of them were in favor of enacting rules that would protect tenants um, and limit evictions. We heard from a lot of tenants on Tuesday who were worried about their own situation. They were worried about Santa Cruz's tight rental market. You know, they were saying, if if I got a notice to leave right now, it would be really hard to find a place. And some people were worried about becoming homeless. Let's switch gears. Tell us about the second part of the meeting. There was a settlement that the city reached in a lawsuit about development downtown. Right. In January, the city was sued by two residents regarding a deal that the city made with a developer. The developer, DevCon Construction and LHH Partners, wants to build 205 market rate units at Pacific Laurel and Front Street. So this is like where Taco Bell is right now? Yeah, that whole block bordered by Pacific Laurel and Front Streets where Taco Bell is. There's a proposal to make 205 market rate units there. 
In exchange for not building any affordable units, the developer plans to give the city a plot of land downtown. That plot of land is actually where Tampico's restaurant used to be on Pacific Avenue. The idea is the city could use that land to add 40 affordable units, including some very low income units, to a, div to a different development project there, the Pacific Station development. The developer, in exchange for not developing any affordable housing units where Taco Bell and that block is, the city is going to use the land where Tampico's used to be to do its own project of 40 affordable units. It's actually 140. So they were already planning to add 100 affordable units. Now this allows the city to up it to 140, 100 percent affordable units. And that's actually legal. But there was a lawsuit from two residents. Right. The two residents who sued the city were Shelley Hatch and Ron Pomerantz. They wanted the city to require 15% of the Pacific Laurel Front project to be affordable. They also wanted the city's affordability requirement to be non-negotiable and higher than the 15%. The, oh. deal, the deal was legal, but yet there was a civil suit settlement. Tell us about Correct. it. So nothing with the Pacific Laurel Front Street project changes. That's going forward as approved. To settle the lawsuit, however, the city agreed to change its affordability requirements. So let's back up for a second. In 2017, the city changed its affordability requirement for new rentals outside of downtown. The requirement used to be that all new development in the city must have 15% of its units be affordable, or the developer could pay a fee to the city that would go toward building affordable units elsewhere. But in 2017, the city decided to lower the requirement for rentals outside of the downtown. The idea was that the rental market is really tight, so to spur the development of more rentals, the city wanted to make it easier for developers to build. So by reducing the number of required affordable units, it would theoretically be cheaper to build. Tuesday, the city agreed to revert back to its 15% requirement for rentals outside the downtown. The plaintiffs wanted the city to require more affordable units for new developments and for the city to stick to those promises. What were the other changes that the council made Tuesday? The big surprise to me was that the council, at the urging of council member Sandy Brown, is going to look at increasing that inclusionary requirement, increasing the 15% affordability to 20%. That change could theoretically make it di more difficult for developers to build because it, it makes it harder for, it, for a project to pencil out, right? So there's two sides to this. Those who are in favor of increasing that inclusionary requirement believe that the city needs to take a harder line at requiring more affordable units. They think that the Silicon Valley economic engine is so hot right now that developers will always want to build in Santa Cruz that the city can require more affordable units and we won't see a market response to that. But the flip side, what you were saying is that the financing for these even market rate projects is so tight, the margins are don't have enough leeway that increasing the affordability requirement too much will make projects so expensive that developers will elect not to build them. 
Yeah, it's, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, it sounds like the city council is banking on there will always be development interest and especially downtown. So we can require more affordable housing units and developers will build it. I mean, that's a bet, essentially. A bet that's not necessarily based on the data. So in 2017, when the city was looking at how much affordability should it require, 15% here, 10% there, they actually hired a consultant to study the numbers. And the consultant, which is, according to Economic Development Director Bonnie Lipscomb, is one of the leading consultants in the field, said that 15% was the threshold. Anything above that downtown, it would be really hard to spur development. Along those lines, I attended the State of the Region conference on Friday, and the state controller, Betty Yee, talked about economic forecasts for the next year and a half. She said that signs point to a downturn in the next year and a half, not a recession, but a downturn. So that may or may not have uh, influence on development downtown, but it's something to consider. So the the city was pushing for the council to consider hiring a consultant again to look at this. So whether the council hires a consultant to study the data and look at a possible recommendation, that'll be something to watch in the coming weeks. Speaking of developers, we did get some more news from the 190 Westcliff project across from the Dream Inn. Right. At the end of last week, we heard news that the developer Ensemble, which owns the Dream Inn, Ensemble plans to contribute $500,000 to the city's affordable housing trust fund. I heard from Economic Development Director Bonnie Lipscomb that the city is planning to use a state program to match those funds, which would mean a total one million new dollars that would go towards building affordable housing in the city. This is a boon for the city because earlier this month, the governor vetoed AB 411, which would have brought $16 million of funding for new affordable housing in the city. I asked the lead for Ensemble, Tyson Sales, what exactly does Ensemble get out of this? He said it's for the community benefit. So when 190 Westcliff was approved by the Planning Commission several weeks ago, Ensemble started thinking about, okay, what can we do more to go above and beyond, Sales said. And that's when he started talking to Lipscomb about possibly contributing to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. So, okay, so, and I said, okay, what can you say to those listeners who might be skeptical of that? He said, it's the right thing to do, and they've been looking for ways to do more than the minimum. Nothing, Nothing's going to change with 190 Westcliff. It's been approved. The number of units and the number of affordable units are not going to change at all. Okay. When I talked to Bonnie Lipscomb, she said, this is a great thing, and... It's a, she, she was really excited about it. A quick note before we go, we want to share with you some changes that we'll be trying over the next few weeks. You may have noticed we've been doing a lot of city council coverage and bo- county board of supervisors coverage. We want to be doing more 
stories that are deeper, that talk about the bigger issues and the solutions. We want to be doing more than just meeting coverage. Right. But we still want to give you that meeting coverage of both city council and board of supervisors. So what we're going to try this coming week when we have both meetings on the same Tuesday is we're going to have a written version of our reporting that we're going to put out and then we're going to save our podcast for the following week that's going to have a little deeper dive into some other issues. Right. So if you want meeting coverage, if you like Santa Cruz Local because you like the City Council and Board of Supervisors coverage, sign up for our newsletter. That's at santacruzlocal.org and put in your email there. That's how you'll get your meeting coverage for the next few weeks. Part of the reason we're doing this, honestly, is because producing podcasts is really time intensive. The nights where we have both city council and board of supervisors, the board of supervisors meetings start at 9 a.m. They go till 2 p.m. The city council meetings start at 1230 p.m. and sometimes go till after midnight. That's when we start writing, recording, editing, producing, and publishing the podcast. So oftentimes we're up till six, seven, eight in the morning, and it's just not sustainable. And we want to be spending more of our reporting time on the deeper stuff, not just the meetings. But we have some stories coming up that we're pretty excited about having to do with work in the county and demographics and lots of bigger issues that are facing it. And we don't just want to be reactive covering meetings. So we're going to try this and see how it goes. And of course, we want your feedback on this. That's the beauty of membership-driven news organizations. You're a part of it. We want to hear from you. Do you like this? What more do you want to see? Do you want us to go back to podcasts about city council, etc.? You're in this too. We want to hear from you. Before we go, we want to thank all our members. Thank you especially to our Guardian level members, Elizabeth and David Doolin, Chris Necklison, Patrick Riley, and the Kelly family. If you'd like to become a member, visit santacruzlocal.org membership. If you haven't signed up for our newsletter, what were you thinking? Sign up for our newsletter. We'll let you know about new episodes and noteworthy upcoming local government meetings and lots of other fun stuff. Sign up at santacruzlocal.org. I'm Stephen Baxter. And I'm Kara Myberg Guzman. Thank you for listening to Santa Cruz Local.